Welcome, my love, to the Living for Christ podcast. I'm your host, Anastasia, aka Anna Empowers, here to more deeply understand with you the rich fullness of God. Because when you understand your creator, you understand his creation, yourself, his world, all that he designed for you to be. God led me out of self-sabotage and insecurity and the new age deception by breaking chains that bound me to my past. And that is my mission here today with you to help you in him and in him alone break chains that bind you to your past, break chains of shame, of insecurity, of self-sabotage in him. So together we can be humbled and surrender to his glorious love and unleash the gifts that he willed for us to bring into his world for him and his glory, not for ourselves. He wants to guide you. He wants to pour into you. He wants to heal you like he's healed so many aspects of my life. When I didn't even seek him at first, God is so good, so patient, so perfectly loving. On this podcast, you'll receive inspiring stories and experiences and mistakes I've made all along the way, plus the unique perspectives of thought leaders on faith-based life and faith-based business so that you can amplify your faith in God's work in your own life. God wants you to store the unique gifts, talents, and ideas that he gave you. He sanctifies and clarifies your unique design the more you come to know and walk with him. God is the strength that I lean on every day to be made into a better steward, servant, wife, and woman for his glory. I'm so excited to welcome Michaela here today. She is a beautiful sister in Christ of mine. She shares a similar story to mine of coming from the new age into Jesus. And now she is the host of the Race and Redeemed podcast, where she shares her testimony a little bit on there and a lot of similar testimonies from new age to Christ, as well as other beautiful, beautiful stories that inspire us to follow him. So welcome, Michaela. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm so, so excited to have you here. So first of all, I'd like to get started with just like a little bit of your background, tell the listeners a little bit of your story, who you are, how you came to start your faith-based podcast, sharing these beautiful testimonies and wherever you want to start in that story, I'm sure it is a big and glorious one. Yeah, that is a big question, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to take too much time telling all of it. So I'll just kind of give a, you know, an overview. So something I heard you mention in your podcast that I was just listening to about your testimony is a lot of times people think that um, people who are Christians, you know, grew up in the faith. This is just what they were indoctrinated to believe. Um, And you were kind of expressing the fact that, you know, this was not that for me. And it was the same thing uh, in my life. I, uh, I had parents who called themselves Christians, um, but they did not strive to live like Jesus at all. So I didn't understand anything about God or the church. Um, There was a lot of abuse and addiction in my childhood. And, um, you know, addiction, substance abuse is a form of idolatry. So a big thing I talk about on the Raised and Redeemed podcast is 
um, these sort of demonic encounters that often are what lead people to Jesus eventually makes us realize we need him. Um, so as a child, I saw lots of crazy things just from the portals that were being ripped open by my parents and all of their idolatry and, you know, the trauma, the substance abuse, the actual blatant witchcraft, all of these kinds of things. And so, um, yeah, I grew up, you know, as a very shy, broken down girl. I didn't know my self-worth. I didn't know my identity. Um, and this led to problems for me in school, you know, partying, sleeping around, boys, drugs, just trying to sort of, you know, find love and find myself in this broken kind of way that I had seen my parents um, navigate through the world. And, you know, I always said I was never going to be like them. I was never going to be like them. And, you know, slowly but surely I was, you know, headed in the same kind of trajectory without even without even realizing it. Um, so my first encounters with church then were when my dad started to get in a bunch of legal trouble and our pastor was also his lawyer. So, you know, we go to church and it's, you know, the normal raining down of terror. You know, my dad, whenever he would use or like abuse drugs, he became a different person. I really felt like the demonic just took him over. He was not my charming, loving dad anymore. Like a, a true monster came out. And so I remember on our way to church, just all of us crying from just the terror that he put into us and him saying, you know, you better get a smile on your face before we go in here. And so my first memories at church were feeling very, um, feeling very afraid. And like, I had a lot of secrets uh, that weren't my own to keep hidden. And, you know, I just kind of thought it was all for show. Um, I didn't feel like I could fit in with the other church kids. I was like, they're so wholesome and good and I'm bad and dirty. And, you know, like I just had these feelings about myself from a very young age. And so uh, time goes on and my dad ends up getting caught for making, selling and using meth. And he goes away to prison for five years. So now I'm 13 and um, have no father figure in my life. And I just went off the deep end. Like I said, the boys, parties, drugs, anything to just numb and, you know, seek. Like I was seeking love. I just really didn't know how to get it. And uh, I moved in with my grandparents. And now pretty much all talk of God was gone. There was no more you know, they were really old. They didn't really leave the house much. So that's just kind of what it was. And um, my life goes on. I move in with different relatives and end up getting a full ride scholarship to go to college. And it was here that, you know, these self-worth issues began to really uh, resurface for me at a whole new level because, you know, now I'm around all these like wealthy beautiful people who I felt like grew up with good families. And like I said, going back to the idea, like I always wanted love. I just wanted love. And so I thought the only way to have, you know, the kinds of boyfriends that these other girls had would be like, I had to have the hair, the clothes, the shoes, the, the money. So then my worth became really wrapped up in material gain. And so this is what led me first into the strip club. And um, my mom was a stripper. All the girls my dad dated were strippers. And so it was really desensitized for me. 
as a little girl where they're like, oh, you know, we're just dancing, like it's nothing bad, you know? And so it was really desensitized for me. So when I got into it, I was like, it's not going to be a big deal. No, it was terrifying. I felt like a baby. Like I didn't know, you know, I had these, there's just old, creepy, perverted men in this space. Um, and so I didn't last long that time when I was 18. Um, and then, you know, the the real semester of college started. So I really wanted to, I really wanted to be like all the other kids. Like for once in my life, I wanted to just be a normal, a normal kid. I wanted to go to my classes. I wanted to go to the frat parties. And I felt like so much of my life had been robbed from me from just living in a very abusive home that like now I started really wanting to like live for myself. And um, so, you know, I start doing all those things, but now I have this standard of living that I want to keep up with. And so this is what led me into uh, sugar daddies and things like this, where I could, you know, see guys on the side, um, but continue to live my life, um, you know, go to class, go to the parties, do all this kind of stuff. And the more I started doing these like soul celly kind of things, the more I needed to numb. And so before I knew it, I was drunk or high, just, you know, out of my face, like three to four days a week. And nobody knew I had a problem, though, because I was a straight A student and, you know, I made it to all my classes. So there were no major red flags. Nobody knew I was like living this double life where I was one way out in the light and I was a whole other way uh, behind closed doors and in the shadows. And I was really beginning to to feel the pain, you know, of what I was doing. And so um, Christmas break comes around in my freshman year of college, and I end up meeting somebody who uh, I got into a relationship with. And this made me sort of give up all the other stuff I was doing, because this was like, you know, the first guy that ever really seemed to care about me. And, you know, we went on expensive dates and all these things. And I was like, oh, like, maybe I can still have this life. But you know, be in a relationship with somebody who is like my age and normal. And, but he lived in Arizona and I lived in Indiana. He went there for school and, uh, but we were from the same hometown. So I go back to college. We had this whole long distance relationship and it was really hard because nothing had really changed in me. I was just trying to change on my own strength. So I kept falling back into the parties. We lied to each other. We cheated on each other. It was just, it was a mess, but we still ended up moving in with each other that summer, um, living with his mom. And him and I were doing lots of really bad things, just from the drugs to the stealing, shoplifting, illegal ways of getting money. Um, and this is what leads to my first God moment. So, uh, <laughs> I ended up getting caught shoplifting one day when he was at work. And so it was just me. I was the only one that got caught. Um, and, you know, they told me that they had been building a case on the both of us, but I was the one. And that's scary, right? Like, I'm like 18 years old, you know, I'm a freshman in college and I have this scholarship that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Like, this was my beyond scared straight moment where I was like, I might lose everything. So I remember going home that summer and I was like at my aunt's house. This is who I lived with when I, from 16 to 18. And um, I remember laying in the pool and I just found out that 
my boyfriend was cheating on me again. Uh, none of my friends had visited me all summer. So I started to realize I didn't really have any authentic friendships. You know, they were just party girlfriends. Uh, I hated what I was studying in school because I was studying what I thought would make me money rather than what I was actually interested in or good at. Uh, I had this shoplifting charge that I didn't know if it was going to make me lose my scholarship. Pretty much just everything was crashing down. And this was my first like honest look in the mirror that made me realize like, are you somebody that other people would want to be friends with? Are you a woman that someone would want to be loyal to? And the answer was no. And I just knew that I was the common denominator to all these things. And I remember just laying in the pool, feeling helpless, like just feeling like, oh my gosh, there's nothing I can personally do to get myself out of this. And I was just gazing up at the sky and in that moment, it was the first time I really heard God speak to me. And all I heard him say was, let me help you. And so, you know, I became interested in God. And the only way I kind of knew about God was, you know, I grew up in a Christian, like culture, area, environment. That's all I really knew. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to start listening to church, going to church. Um, I believed in God, but I still didn't understand Jesus. So, you know, I wanted that relationship with God. I was ready to change. I was ready to heal. I go back to college that next semester, you know, by the way of a miracle, I didn't lose my scholarship. I got the charge expunged. I did community service. It was this whole thing. Um, and I actually did community service at the church that I had been watching online and got to meet the pastor in person. And I remember like feeling something different in his eyes. In retrospect, I know it was the Holy Spirit, but I'd never, I'd never seen anything like that or felt anything like that. I remember feeling so ashamed that I was there under those circumstances, but he just looked at me with love and was like, happy I was there, even though I'm like, like, I feel, I felt like a little con, like sweeping the floors, doing my community service. And, um, so I go back to school that semester and, uh, you know, I was really ready to change. I got really into my healing. Um, and this is when, you know, I was still reading the Bible, but I also started doing yoga because, you know, growing up, with all this abuse, I was like, okay, trauma gets stuck in the body. I must have this stuff stuck in the body. So I'm going to learn about yoga to get the trauma out of my body. This opened the door to the chakras and to um, Christ consciousness and to veganism and all these things. And I just thought that I found it. I was like, this is what they've been hiding from me. This is what nobody wanted me to know. And I also went to a very liberal university with a lot of feminist ideology. And so I read this book that changed everything for me. Alongside, I was still reading the Bible and doing all these things, but this book was called Feminist Perspectives on like history, epistemology, just this whole, you know, philosophical book, uh, painting feminist perspectives on it versus the traditional male Western perspective. So I started to reject everything Western, everything patriarchy. And this led me to rejecting the church as well. I was like, uh-uh, I'm not a Christian. I still want God. I still love God, but this isn't the way that I'm going to do it. Yeah. I want to pause you for a second because I want to emphasize this point that the Lord has been revealing to me more and more, but I think also in the Christian community, it's obvious to those of us who follow Jesus. And it's that true Christ's teachings are never hidden. 
Mm. True Christ teachings. That's what the Gnostics believe, right? That there's secret knowledge, that there's hidden knowledge. None of this is new. None of these ideas that there's like some kind of secret path to enlightenment. None of those ideas are new. The Gnostics believe that way back when. And the truth is Jesus doesn't hide the truth. People who are coming into the new age, they think that they're just you know, like these trendsetter rule breakers, we're finding a new way, like we're overthrowing, you know, the oppression and all this stuff. And it's like, no, this is the same rebellion that's been going on forever. Yeah. Yeah. I've come to realize that recently too, because I've, I don't, I know you listened to my testimony. I only recently came out of the new age completely. I've been like on the fence for about a year between those two worlds, kind of similarly to sounds like you were in that point in time, you were just sharing. I was on the fence trying to kind of keep both. And the last month or so I stepped off that fence and stepped fully into Jesus. And that's when the scales fell off my eyes is when I saw things differently. And one of the things I realized is how deceived I was to think that I was part of this movement that was new and special and somehow egotistically, honestly, better than like the unwoke people. And I also actually went to, I went to not only a liberal feminist college, I went to a women's college in New York City. So I totally relate to that part of the story and go ahead and continue. I want to hear more. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I I appreciate that we can relate on those things. I asked my husband the other day too, I was like, can I say that? Like, am I allowed to say like, you know, if I went to like a liberal university, because I don't want to be divisive politically Mm -hmm. or whatever, but it really was like, it really was a very liberal university where like the only pictures of Jesus you'll find on campus is he's painted as black Jesus. And you know, that's whatever. But And so there's a lot of feminist ideology and just all these like movements, you know, like BLM was big there, like the aggressive, Mm -hmm. I'm taking my power back kind of perspectives. And so I went to Indiana University, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But okay, so going back to my story. So now I'm at this place where I'm just rejecting. Yeah, I'm I'm rejecting everything of the Western world and um I'm trying to heal myself and find myself. And so me and this boyfriend had, we'd broken up during this duration of time and then we'd gotten back together. And so now I was moving to Arizona to be with him. So we were like the total like hippie drug rug, wherein stopping in Colorado, buying all the, you know, legal marijuana. Like this was our, this is who we were at this point. And this is when I started my YouTube channel and I started it with teaching yoga. And so my first videos were teaching yoga and teaching about like why we shouldn't trust the Christian church and, you know, all this stuff. And so um, I get there and there happened to be this school uh, down the road from where we lived that was a spiritual arts school. And uh, this is the same school that I had been looking at online. And so I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, like the universe like brought us together and meant to go to this school and. I started going there just to like take some yoga classes. And this is where I met my first group of friends. So before I knew it, I was getting enrolled in the yoga teacher training and I was finishing my bachelor's degree in in psychology now online. And uh, this goes back to, you know, I changed my major to psychology because I was trying to figure out how to heal myself, trying to figure out how to figure out my parents and myself and we're going to talk about identity and, you know, finding God before you find yourself. Um, But so this was, I kind of worked backwards on that, you know? And um, 
So now I'm big into the yoga community, and this is where tarot cards get presented to me for the first time. And you know, if you're already like not in the Bible or believing the Bible, tarot cards seem so innocent. It's like these pretty sparkly, magical, you know, like you look at them and you're like, you're just intrigued by what it is. And so this is how I got into that. And before I knew it, it was like one door open the next in this community where now I'm going to, you know, the new moon circles, the the full moon circles, the, I'm doing the rituals with, you know, putting blood on the ground. And now I'm going to these like white witch circles where we're carving intentions and candles and burning herbs. And, you know, they've got pictures of all the Hindu gods and goddesses. And even Jesus on the wall is just another deity. And, it, you know, it, it's just crazy the kind of environments I got into and it, the extent that it went to because I also got into like some sex magic kind of stuff where this was like the next level to those doors. This was like the big door that got opened. It's all in the name of healing too, which is crazy. You think you're healing. You you think you're evolving, healing your inner child, resolving things with your shadow self. You think you're doing all these things. You don't realize that you're just adding layers of trauma onto the trauma that you already have. I didn't know I was slowly destroying myself. And so I remember I was just, you know, still this broken, acne-faced girl. I was so insecure. And so when this spiritual teacher came in the room, she just, she came in like she was like all about the goddess and she was very powerful. And I remember I just like was enthralled by who she was. And I was like, I want to be like that. So I followed her everywhere. And that's how I ended up in the sex magic circles and, you know, kind of like co-hosting those with her. And then it got weirder and weirder. We're now like, it starts as like a healing thing with women. And now next thing I know, men are coming into this space. Uh, next thing I know, we've got dominatrix dominatrixes coming in and now people are being flogged while other people are crying. And like, I don't want to say too much crazy stuff, but it like, I was like in some weird stuff for a long time and I thought I was healing, but I was not. And essentially, this belief system ended up leading me back to the strip club for round two. Me and this guy I was with, we had ended up getting engaged during this time. Um, we were together four years, and uh, we had started to run out of money. And so he was going away on an army training. Our relationship was just really weird. It was like the more I got into all of this, like witchcraft and you know pagan ideology our relationship. He wanted to open the relationship sexually to like other people. And he got into the ideology as well, because, you know, it's fun to live in sin, right? Like it's fun temporarily, but it was, it was destroying us as individuals and us as a couple as well. And so, you know, he's about to go on this army training after we've been through all this stuff and uh, we ran out of money and I had to find a way to be the one to pay the bills. And so I went back to the strip club this time round two, but now under the belief system that this is a part of my healing. And so I believed the lie that, you know, this was a part of me taking my power back as a woman. And, um, you know, just that, I just feel like that anything that's about taking your power back, like that's such a Satanistic, like now I know that he, it's him that like, he stabs that trauma 
twists his fork and gets you all riled up to think I need to take my power back. And so, you know, going back to the movements I spoke of, it's like, you can just tell what's fueled by his spirit. Um, and so now I'm in these clubs and, and I'm thinking I'm going to help these men heal. So I'm teaching these men astrology. I'm teaching, you know, I'm bringing my tarot cards. I think I'm, you know, at this point, I believe that astrology is just advanced psychology and that I'm helping them understand themselves. And, um, you know, a lot of these guys were, were married guys. And I remember like coaching them on like, you know, what they needed to say to their wives and pretty much like, I thought I could come into this place and like help and teach and like be a light in a dark place is what I thought. And, uh, before I knew it though, you know, cause at first I started this journey sober before I knew it, I started using drugs and alcohol really bad again. Why? Because I'm selling my soul. Of course, of course, I'm going to need to start to numb the pain of the things I'm doing, but I was still lying to myself and in denial that that's what was happening. You know, I'm doing cocaine in the bathroom with these girls and then I'm, you know, I'm like in all these crazy places, doing all these crazy things, selling my soul at way deeper levels again. And yeah, so I started to, you know, cope with substances really bad again. And then I met somebody and this would lead to the final like moment um, right before I accepted Jesus. So I meet this guy in the club and um, he has a wedding ring on and I have an engagement ring on. And uh, I remember thinking my relationship was pretty much like done. My I knew my relationship was on its way out. So when he told me that that was his situation as well, you know, like they're basically separated, all these things. I was like, okay, like I get that. And I believed him. And um, he lived in California and I lived in Arizona. And it was like all these things started happening afterwards where he gets a territory for his work in Arizona after that. And I was like, oh, it's the universe wanting us to be close together. And we did lots of tarot cards together. And all the tarot cards were saying, you know, there's going to be temporary pain and destruction. But in the end, like there's hope and you guys are supposed to be together. And, you know, like we're listening to these things that literally demons, like literally demons are telling us, you know, you guys are meant to be together. And so I thought this guy was my twin flame, um, all these other new age ideas about, you know, relationship and um, a couple months go into our relationship and he tells me that his wife is pregnant. And um, I knew, okay, like your relationship isn't that over then if, uh, you know, she's, she's pregnant and they had two other kids. And I just started to see that like more pain was happening. And, um, but I wasn't ready to like, let this relationship go because it was like, this was like the most emotional roller coaster of a relationship. And, you know, growing up in a chaotic, abusive home, I was like, oh, this is love. Like, this is what love is supposed to, supposed to feel like I'm supposed to feel these highs and lows. Otherwise I'm not alive. Like I remember thinking like, this is supposed to be my person. And, and being such a shy, broken girl my whole life, I'd never taken anything I wanted. And so this time I was like, like I said, I was living for myself and I wanted this and I wasn't going to just give it up. And so, you know, I just kept being in denial and, um, we continued on our relationship for eight months total and things were getting more serious. And, uh, I ended up realizing, you know, I couldn't go back to the club 
um, you know, different things I was realizing. And he was actually a Christian. So going back to, you know, Christians who are still dabbling in all this like sorcery and witchcraft um, and just blatant sin and sexual immorality and adultery, like he was another Christian in my life that wasn't living like Jesus. And so I was still seeing all this destruction in his life. And um, so we'd have lots of arguments, you know, where I was like, no, it's the goddess. And he was like, no, it's God. And and I was like, whatever. But I did start to read the Bible because I was in this relationship with him. And God will use like he will use anything to speak to us, because even though I wasn't really believing it, he started to speak to me about sexual immorality. And he started to speak to me about the fact that he was returning soon. And um, so, you know, I'm a new ager, I'm deep in all this stuff. And, but I just started to feel these things that I like started to believe. And um, leading up to, you know, then I leave the club, all these things. And we were looking at houses together. We were like, we were planning our next steps of like how we were going to be together. So this one weekend comes where he comes to Arizona to visit me. And, you know, we're staying in a hotel like we always do. And I remember feeling like this fear, like I remember feeling like this insecurity, this fear like came into the room and I was being really awkward. Like I was standing across the room from him and he's like, what are you doing over there? And I was like, I don't know, like maybe it's because I'm breaking out right now. Like I'm not really sure. And so he dims the lights and comes over to me and is just pretty much telling me like everything's okay. Like you're beautiful. Everything's fine. And I'm looking at him and he's looking back at me and I'm going to preface with what I'm about to say with saying I had seen spiritual things before while I was on psychedelics. You know, I'd seen demons. I'd seen these other things in the spirit. I'd seen trees breathe. You know, I'd seen crazy stuff on psychedelics. But this day I was completely sober. And so he's sitting in front of me and his face begins to morph. And his eyes are going out and in and up and down. And his nose turns into a pig snout and his eyes turn into a gorilla. And it was just unlike anything I'd ever seen. And I was like actually petrified where I could barely even get out words. And all I could say is I see a beast in you. And um, he, he told me he saw the same thing, which I don't know. I don't know if he did or whatever, or if he was just saying that. But he gets up on his knees now and he's squeezing my hands and he's squeezing his eyes closed and he's breathing really hard. And I can tell he's going to war with this demon. Like I can see he's in a battle, that he's in a fight. Um, in retrospect, as a Christian, I'm like, you know, why didn't you like scream out the name of Jesus? But I don't know what I don't know what he was doing inside his head, but his eyes are closed, squeeze shut, and I'm watching him. And as I'm watching him, this demon casts the illusion over his face that he's being strangled. I can tell that I'm seeing this in the spirit. It's not like he's not actually being strangled but I was seeing in the spirit that he was being strangled. And what I've deduced from that now is like, he literally was like, he, he was in bondage so much to his own sin that he was being strangled. This demon was sucking the life out of him. This was true. Um, And so time goes on and I'm feeling like unsafe and going back to how God had began speaking to me about sexual immorality. I felt like at the time, I thought it was my intuition, but now I'm going to say, you know, it's God telling me this demon wants me for sex. So, oh my gosh. So, you know, the night goes on, this spirit lets up and 
I still feel it in the room, but like four hours go by. We're not sleeping this night. We're just like, what was that? What does that mean? Why did this happen? All of these things. And four hours go by and I ask him to pray because we just can't sleep. I was like, can you please pray for us? Like you're a Christian, you pray. And he prays and I still feel this demon in the room. So I felt this battle going on like in my head where it was like, you're not going to pray. Who are you to pray? Like you blaspheme Jesus. Like You don't even believe in Jesus. Why would you pray to Jesus? And I know now like this demon was like battling with me not to pray, but the Holy Spirit was stronger and prayed through me. And I remember just tears streaming down my face. I was so humbled because I had talked so badly about Jesus. My whole YouTube channel at this point was false teachings from demons talking bad about Jesus. And oh my gosh, yeah. So just tears going down my face. I just cry out to Jesus for protection. And uh, I ended up being able to sleep that night, but I wasn't super, super sold, right? Like I wasn't super sold that I'm just gonna give my life to Jesus now and change everything. So after that, you know, I started researching all the religions, like how do Buddhists protect themselves from darkness? How do Hindus stay safe from darkness? Um, I went to the Catholic church. I got holy water. I went to the Mormon church. I was asking them what they think, you know, like I was just on this journey to figure out how can we stay protected? Like if demons are real, like how do, how do people fight them? And what I ended up realizing is like, I needed Jesus to fight that battle for me. I couldn't fight that on my own. All these other religions might have like good moral philosophies and ways of life. And there might be tidbits of truth in there, but if it doesn't have Jesus, then it's not the full truth because only he can protect you from the dark side, from the dark powers and principalities and rulers. And Oh my gosh, I just started to realize all these things. And there was one Christian lady in my yoga teacher training And I didn't like her at all, of course, when I was in my yoga teacher training. Um, But I reached out to her and I told her what happened. And she was like, please come to church with me. So I started going to church and uh, I didn't like what I was hearing. I didn't like it because God was convicting me hardcore. He was convicting me. And uh, I knew I had to get abstinent in this relationship. This was like one of the first things I was being convicted on. I had to get abstinent. I couldn't keep sleeping with this guy. Um... And I also, another thing was I remember looking around and I was seeing all these families. And I remember thinking like, I want a family like this one day. And I want him to be with his family. I don't want to tear apart a family. And I just remember like being convicted of how selfish I had been. And so I come out of this, but I'm still confused, you know, like I start going to these women's studies and these women are like pouring life into me and they're like, God, isn't the God of confusion? Like he's not going to send a married man into your life. And I'm like, but what if he did? And they're like, no, God's not going to do that. And so it was just this battle. But like, luckily I had these women in my life that were helping me learn the truth and learn what, what God says. And so I got really convicted about being absent with this guy, but he wasn't ready to change. He wasn't as convicted to start honoring God as I was. And so he still was trying to sleep with me. And I gave in one or two more times. And um, that final time, I remember feeling like I understood why God told us, you know, to keep sex for marriage. Because I remember looking at him and thinking, 
I have no security that you're going to be here tomorrow. There's no security that you're going to love me or you're going to stay. And I remember just like entertaining the idea of like what it would feel like to be his wife. But I was like, but you're not his wife. Like you're not his wife. And I knew that this man was an idol for me and that I had, I had chosen him over God now at this point because God had been speaking to me. And so I knew in that moment that I put him before God in, in saying yes and in sleeping with him. And when he left, I felt darkness re-enter my room. Like this whole battle I'd went through of like learning to listen to worship music and throw out all my new age stuff and keep my home protected from darkness. Cause I was, I was so afraid, you know, I lived alone. It was just me and my dog. And, um, so I'd finally gotten good at figuring out how to keep demons out, you know, by like living obedient. And, you know, if you feel something, blast your worship music and all these different things I was doing. Well, the moment I had sex with this man, darkness re-entered my room because I opened that portal going back to opening portals. And so I was like, "Uh, uh-uh, I can't, I can't do that again. And so this ended up being the last time that I would ever see him. And at this point now I'm on fire for God. And I'm realizing like that the Bible wasn't just written, you know, by men, you know, I was like realizing God tells us all these things to keep us protected. And it was really this fear of the Lord that brought me back to God and realizing, you know, this is a real spiritual battle out here and I need Jesus and walking obedient is the only thing that's going to keep me safe and keep me from opening these portals to darkness. So I just went hardcore, you know, into everything God said, learning God, learning who Jesus was. Um, And I was having a really hard time too. I was like, okay, I believe the Bible now. It was like this process of, of, okay, I believe the Bible now, but is Jesus really God? Like, are you sure Jesus is God? And so I was just praying about this, praying about it. And I ended up having a couple of dreams back to back. Um, The first one was I was just stuck in hell and I was anxious. I was restless. It was one of those like sleep paralysis experiences where I couldn't move. I was deep down in the pit of darkness and, you know, I got thrown into darkness three times. It was this whole dream. Two days later come where I have the sequel to this dream where I'm stuck in hell again. And like, I felt hopeless, you know, and out of the corner of my eye in a distance, I saw this beam of light. And just like seeing this beam of light gave me hope that like something is out there, like something is out. It might not be here, but something good is out there. And this light came up and all around me. And now I feel this light around me. I feel the warmth. And I just like finally took a breath. I could finally breathe and I was at peace. And right in front of me, it was like the sun. And then through the center of the sun came the face of Jesus. And I was like, okay, it's you. Jesus is God. And uh, that's when I like, I fully gave my life to the Lord. I was baptized two weeks later. um, And I really like committed myself to just getting to know Jesus for a while uh, before dating again. And of course, you know, I backslid. I had a really hard time with that because relationships were always my biggest idol. Um, but God still had greater plans for me. And um, so it was, I remember I did this freedom class learning how, like, I didn't want to open portals to darkness. So I took this freedom class. And I remember God convicting me not to date until this class was over. So the class ended in April. And 
um, around the month of April, I wrote this list and I shared it on my Instagram story of what I wanted in a husband. And I was like, he has to love the Lord. First and foremost, I'm not going into the demonic with nobody ever again. I just wrote this whole list, shared it on my Instagram story. And that's actually how I met my husband. And he followed me, saw the list, and we ended up getting married two months later. It was like literally like a God arranged marriage. It was crazy. Um, I went kind of ghost on social media for about a year, just learning how to be a wife and carry the weight of that responsibility and still being sanctified a lot. Um, And at the end of that year, I was feeling restless, like I wanted to serve God in a greater way. Um, bigger than my nine to five, bigger than, you know, just bigger than anything I was doing at that point. And the only thing I could do was start where I was at. And so I started with making TikToks and then, you know, just sharing my story. And then that grew into finally starting the Raised and Redeemed podcast um, where, yeah, like you said, I have guests on to share their testimony. And now I've been doing that for about a year and just continuing to see the way God shows up. So I hope I didn't talk for too long. That was you know, my whole, my whole testimony, um, in a nutshell there. Wow. 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 Thank you so much for sharing all that. And I want to know more, but (laughs) something I want to go back to because it sticks out to me so much. And it comes up in my conversations with, especially with people who were raised in the church in some way. And then they went into new age afterwards because of church hurt, because of Christians misrepresenting Jesus, right? As Christians, like you said, we're called to be like Jesus. We're called to be ambassadors of Jesus, if you will, here on earth. And there are so many people who carry the label Christian, but actually don't live up to that call that we have as Christians. So I would love to hear your take and your experience on it sounds like you've encountered that a lot, right? In your family growing up and that man you were involved with of these Christians misrepresenting Jesus. And a lot of people turn away from Jesus and punish Jesus mm-hmm. essentially and their relationship with God because of these people misrepresenting Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. That was the, really the leading thing. Like I had always believed in God, you know, as a little girl. And then when I became conscious of God and wanted to seek him, but it was really like the Jesus piece that it wasn't clicking for me. And this is, yeah, what made me think all the other religions could be true. And, you know, the new age, you know, can be a way to connect with God and all these other ways can be a way to connect with God. I didn't, I didn't realize that the only way to the father was through the sun. And like you said, it is because everybody had, everybody that was a Christian in my life had poorly um, represented him. And so, you know, now in my walk, like that's like something I take so seriously. Like I, I want to be like a good Christian. Like I want to reflect Jesus and, oh my gosh, like it's something I'm so conscious of, like maybe even too conscious because that was a big source of, of my hurt. Um, But I think the people that are doing that, they don't even realize, like they don't even realize, you know, the the full life that is in store for them if they seek after him. And the more you seek after him and get close to him, the more you become like him. Um, And so, gosh, it's yeah, it's like, I don't even know how, like what else to say beyond that and just, except for just, you know, it makes your life better and then everybody's life around you better 
when you do seek after him, because like I said, it's like, you're like the people you hang out with the most. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And one of the things that I had a hard time with coming into the church when I was in that place where I was straddling the two worlds, straddling the new age and trying to bridge it with going to church and Christianity. And when I do something, I do it 110%. So when I started going to church, I was going to the Bible study. I was reading my Bible. I was um, like going to anything they have, like any worship nights or anything like that. I was in small group, all these things. Yeah. And the people who were involved that level with me, I would say almost all of them, at least all the ones I encountered grew up Christian, like didn't really stray very much. So yeah. it was hard for me to figure out how to walk with Jesus among people who have always walked with Jesus. Oh yeah. And it sounds like you experienced a little bit of that. I like, I think, I don't know if you relate to that piece of it, but when you were saying like, you felt like you were this broken girl among all these good Christians. How did you come to manage that? Or how did the Lord like work through you and release that from you? That's such a good question. I love that so much because yeah, it was, it was like that for me since being a little girl, my first time coming around other Christians and just feeling like, like, you know, you said, and I said, broken and dirty and less than, and uh, yeah, that was something I remember struggling with a lot. And so when I finally did believe in Jesus, I didn't want to be a Christian. Like I was not one, like I, I did not want to be a Christian. That's not what I was like trying to do. And I had a really hard time with figuring out how to be a good Christian. I was like, how am I just going to, you know, transform my life and give up all these things? And it's something that really stressed me out. I was like, if this is what it means to be that, like, I don't know. I don't know how to do that, God. And what he gave me peace with on that was going back to seeking him. It, he just told me to keep seeking him and all those other things, you know, would, would ravel themselves out. Um, and that's really how it happened for me. Like it was the more blatant witchcraft was the first to go. Um, the sexual immorality was like, that was a hard one. That was a like, you know, that was a big one. Um, the drugs and alcohol drugs, you know, were one of the first to go alcohol. I backslid and came back to it, but it was like, the more that I just kept seeking God, the more I realized that none of those things filled me. None of those things ever filled me the way that he did. And so they began to feel very empty. And um, it just kind of sort of took out the reward for even doing them. Um, and so I just realized like over that journey, like, you know, the relationship versus religion um, that, you know, I didn't care about religion. Like I was not here for religion. And it was really the relationship with Jesus that just began to to clean me up and and in that, my ways just began to change over time. And it wasn't something like, oh, I had to just, you know, be different all of a sudden. Because going back to my story in college, you know, when I met a guy and I was like, okay, I'm going to try to change. But I was trying to change on my own strength. And so I messed it all up. Now it's like I was changing on his strength and with his guidance and his grace. And, you know, and just getting to know him, it naturally, it naturally just worked out that way over time. Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much because especially coming from that trauma background, I mean, if you, if you don't know before I 
went into this faith-based direction with my business, I was a trauma coach. I was teaching all these things like shadow work and inner child work and all of this. And that was my expertise. And just like you, I went into that line of work because I was so messed up because I experienced trauma because I I studied neuroscience, but I was choosing between neuroscience and psychology because I wanted to figure out my parents and myself, like (laughs) that whole story. And I think that's why a lot of us end up a new age too, because of trauma and wanting to heal yourself. Like you said, that healing aspect. And it was so centered on practices, right? The opposite of what Jesus teaches, which is know me, and then you will be changed through that. Like I will help you um, versus self-empowerment and like doing all these things and, and and yeah just like not only discovering yourself but taking it into your own hands I would often talk about like your life is in your own hands and you can take your life into your own hands but how equipped are your hands how equipped are we to do that and where do we end up when we do that and in the short term we might be able to finagle something together but ultimately it's the blind leading the blind here and I would love to hear more about your story when it comes to how healing has gone for you once you started following Jesus what the contrast has been between healing that way between working on yourself, like the personal development journey prior to Jesus, when you were leaning on your own strength and then what your transformation has looked like in him. Even that question like brings tears to my eyes because I, I go back to what it was before him. And I think about, um, like I said, you know, being in these circles, these weekend workshops where we're literally getting naked in front of others and sharing what our trauma is because this is supposed to be what heals you and it just breaks my heart like it breaks my heart because I look back at how unsafe I felt like and what you think though is oh I'm stepping outside of my comfort zone and this is going to be you know a part of this is going to be what heals me you know and so I've got to do it I've got to face this and it just feels like you're being plunged into freezing ice cold water all the time and you feel like you have to figure it all out for yourself and so it's a very lonely place and it's a very scary place and now that I know Jesus's love like I look back and think about just how little of real love is in any of those practices like Jesus isn't going to strip you down and humiliate you in front of others like that's very demonic you know, looking back. Um, and so, you know, sharing with how it's been with him now, it feels like, you know, if I need to spend a year um, just reading my Bible and going off the radar and being in peace with him, like I'm allowed to do that. Like he's, he's a gentleman. Um, he's the Prince of Peace. He's very gracious and kind. Um, he takes things that at our pace, he doesn't, he doesn't push us. He meets us where we're at. Oh my gosh. Like he's just like a good father. And I love to even reflect on that and to think about that because I know how like, it's like spiritual abuse, the way that the new age teaches you, you have to heal. Um, And when you grow up with that childhood trauma already, 
you think that this is normal. You think that these feelings and the, these circumstances, you, you've, it's a similar emotional feel that you're used to. And so you think that it's normal. And what I've realized since coming into the family of Christ is that that's not normal and it's, it's continued abuse. Um, and so, yeah, I feel finally, I feel safe. I feel protected. And just, I got to say too, I married the most gentle husband, the most gentle, wholesome husband. Like it's actually mind blowing to think about (laughs) Because my dad was very like aggressive and abusive. And this man that I thought was my twin flame was very narcissistic and abusive and not physically, but just, you know, it was all about him and his wants and desires. And my husband is like the first man that I have ever met that really has laid his life down for me and makes me feel safe and gives me those gentle kisses in the morning and holds my dog like he's a little baby infant and <laughs> just like the most wholesome stuff and like that's who god brought into my life so just going back to like like my husband is a gift from god and he's been a, a part of my healing journey as well since um coming into the family mm-hmm. That is so, so beautiful. Oh my goodness. And I relate to that um, deeply. My husband, I I actually met him when I just started venturing into the new age. And he was raised Catholic. He actually thought about becoming a priest at some point. I'm glad he didn't because now he's mine. But (laughs) um, he was very into his faith. And then he had a crisis of faith because of a lot of trauma, a lot of loss in his family. Um, And we met, I don't know, maybe four or five years after that in college. And he told me about a month ago when I first went faith-based to my business that he actually, he wanted a Christian wife. He wanted a kind of a more traditional wife. And I was so far from that. I mean, when he met me, I was a hardcore feminist. I was considering an open relationship and he was like, no, I was like, fine. (laughs) But I was trying to push for that because like everyone around me was doing it. And I was just like super hyper rational and intellectual. Um, And then my next phase was new age, which was like stepping out of that and more into like a spiritual place. But still not Jesus. And he was so patient and gentle. He never made me feel wrong. He never made me feel judged, even though he disagreed with what I was doing. He never, he almost never even shared that he disagreed with what I was doing. It was just like a little bit of like, I don't know about this. Um, But he always supported me and he loved me unconditionally. And then I came around to Jesus and he's so happy and our marriage is stronger than ever. And I had no idea this whole time that this is what he wanted from the start because he just made me feel so loved and was so patient and gentle with me the whole time that he didn't make me feel like I wasn't enough or I had to change or I had to go in this direction. This was all God. So having that gentle man by my side was so novel for me at first. I think like you, it was that upbringing of chaos is love. Mm -hmm. The push pull, the high low is love. So is this love? But no, this is, this is what real love is. This is the love that's 
like Jesus. Yeah. And sometimes it's very, sometimes it's very peaceful where I'm like, do we need to like argue or something? You know, like, <laughs> sounds weird to say, um, but I'm learning like, that's what it's supposed to be. You know, it's not supposed to be these highs and lows. It's supposed to feel like home, like you can breathe and be safe. So yeah, I, I love that. Do you wish like ever looking back going into like, um, you know, the man is the spiritual leader of the house. Um, do you kind of wish ever that he would have like pulled you out of that? Or do you appreciate that he let you go through your journey? Yeah, I've talked to him about this too. I talked to him about everything, but <laughs> I, I tell him that I think I wish he would have said something, but he tells me you probably wouldn't have heard me and you probably would have doubled down on it and your stubbornness. And he's probably right. So <laughs> I think he did the right thing. And I wish that he could have spoken and I could have heard him, but I'm not sure I would have heard him. Yep. Same. I wouldn't listen to anybody until I knew for myself, like literally a demon had to come into the room before I would listen. (laughs) So with that in mind, I wonder, what do you think we can do as followers of Christ and as, as women who proclaim Christ as the truth and the way, how how do you think we can go about doing that in, for example, I don't know if you still have any connections. I still have some connections who are have people who are in new age and who are following that path and very much proclaim subjective truth. And are like, Oh, you know, you can follow that. It's not for me. Like, this is my truth, all of that. Um, yeah. What, what are your thoughts on navigating those relationships and how we can be loving because love isn't just, you know, tolerance and patience and gentleness. Sometimes we do need to say something and that's the most loving thing we can do. Like I wish my husband had. So I wonder how you navigate those types of conversations. You know, that's a great question. I kind of, um, I kind of got lucky in the sense that every time I went through a major transition in my life, I moved uh, states. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm not directly near any of the people that I once was, but that doesn't mean I don't have a bit of an answer to that. Um, I think one of the best things we can do that I'm learning is to just share our story. Um, and so, you know, I've called a couple of those people and like, you know, set an appointment, like, can I please have a conversation with you and just like tell you, because I know you see this on social media and you're probably like, what the heck happened? Like, I would love the opportunity to just like tell you like how this change happened in my life. And the people that I've had those conversations with have been very receptive. And I remember going into it being like a little afraid, like, I don't want them to feel like I'm pushing my agenda or, you know, th- these fears of rejection definitely come up, but it's been only blessing every time I do obey that and go forward with those conversations anyways. And then there's other people who I have to not talk to, to keep myself protected. Um, if that makes sense, like the spiritual gurus and teachers and the ones that were like leading these things, I, I don't know. I haven't found a place in my heart to be able to have those conversations with them yet. Um, maybe one day I will, but 
there's a fine line of like knowing going back to like God is a good father and if he thinks somebody is dangerous it's like he's not going to put it on your heart to reach out to that person specifically so the people that he has placed on my heart to reach out to I obey that and I feel like that's how he talks to me a lot it's been something I've been doing actually a lot lately where um I felt like I needed to have a more internal time. This is one of the first uh, like interviews I've done in a while because I was like, I haven't even told my story to like some of my family members and friends, like old friends. So I went through a season of just doing that for a while. And I'm still kind of on that, that mission of, um, of doing that. So yeah, he speaks to me and putting those people on my heart. So I kind of know, I kind of know when I wake up and like, either they were in my dream or they're on my mind. I'm like, okay, I got to make, I got to schedule a phone call. Um, and then it's just, yeah, not pushing my agenda. I have no agenda. It's just, this is what Jesus did for me and showed me. And then, you know, sometimes they have questions or they want to hear more. Like it, it opens a door to where now they feel comfortable reaching out to me when they are ready uh, to hear more about that. Mm, I love that. This past Saturday, I spoke at a, at a women's retreat and I signed up for this. Like, I don't even know, maybe January, a long time ago, well before I went faith-based in my business back when I was straddling the two worlds. And it's very much like a new age sort of group of coaches. And I was like, God, should I still go like guide me here? I can, I will back out. Like, I don't care if I waste the money I spent on it. Like I just lead me and he led me to still do it. And we were meant to speak at this retreat, right? Like put together a presentation or facilitate something or what have you for like 20, 30 minutes. And I decided mainly to share my testimony. That was like the main part of what I did. And the feedback from everyone in the room, I could tell at least one woman was like really uncomfortable, but I could tell also that there was probably something else going on there. Mm -hmm. Um, But overall, the feedback I got from every single woman was that it was so gentle and there, there seemed to be no agenda and there was no agenda. And it was just like so powerful and they could hear or listen to me talk for hours and they were so receptive and some people were more moved than others by it. But overall, like everyone had positive things to say over the way that I shared. And I was so nervous. I was like, no one's going to hear this. No one's going to like truly receive it because there's this disconnect between worldviews. But you are so, so right that if you share your testimony, like we're all human, we all have the same desires and needs and God put those there and they're really for God. And when you share your story of how God fulfilled those, everyone listens and because we all want the same thing. Oh, it's a great reminder for me as well. Um, Still being someone like I still struggle with like anxiety and fears of rejection. So to just, yeah, keep that, keep that in mind myself too. (laughs) Beautiful. Well, as we wrap up here, Michaela, I would love to hear if there's one piece of advice or one takeaway from your story or from our, con- our conversation here today that you want to leave the listeners with? I'll go back to the story of Hagar. This was something that was really profound to me when 
um, I first realized that God was fighting for me. And, uh, you know, Hagar was the Egyptian maidservant of Sarai, Abraham's wife. And, you know, she got pregnant with the illegitimate, illegitimate son, Ishmael, and Sarai got jealous and sent her off into the desert. And now she's out there with this baby and in the wilderness. And, um, man, when she was out there, like, I just like felt her heart of like being lost, abandoned, sent out alone. And that's when the angel of the Lord came to her. And she was like, this is the most profound thing. She was like, you are the God who sees me. And I remember feeling like that when he first turned his face towards me. So I could relate to Hagar's story of like, wow, like he really does see me. And when you're in the new age, you know, you believe in this impersonal universe, like everything is an impersonal, like abstract, subjective, like no personal relationship with God. And so when you feel his face turn towards you and like he sees you and he loves you, that changes everything. Um, And I really believe that he wants to reveal that. I believe he wants to reveal that to you. Um, All you have to do is ask. And, you know, like my story, he gave me dreams and just different confirmations. The more I sought him, the more he, he did reveal himself to me. So if, you know, somebody's out there, like, I don't know if Jesus would like love me or do all this for me. He will, you know, in your, in a way that meets you where you're at. Mm -hmm. Um, Just have to ask him. Beautiful. I wonder coming out of the new age, this is one of the things that I struggled with most when you came out of the new age and God started speaking to you, especially having been deceived for so long and speaking with demons, thinking you were doing something good and receiving good messages. How did you learn to discern the voice of God and Jesus from Mm -hmm. any other influences when you were receiving messages? Yeah. Peace, peace, because I've always been a very impulsive person. Um, making just quick, rash decisions. And, you know, like I said, I married my husband in two months. So (laughs) uh, over this, you know, past couple of years, we've been married now two years. um, I've been really learning how to not make decisions until I have God's peace. So when you feel, you know, because like going back to the anxiety thing, like if you, if there's something, somebody you got to hang out with, an event, an appointment, some like anything, a job, anything and you don't have peace on it. Like that's been my biggest red flag. Um, because it's like going into the strip club. I didn't have peace. I didn't have peace doing that, you know, but I did it anyways because of the fear and the urgency and, oh, you have to, or even going back to when I was a young girl, like sneaking out, like, oh, the fear, the urgency, you're going to miss out on life, da da da. all these things. It's like when God is telling you to do something, you also receive his peace. I love that. And even with sneaking out and doing things that were bad, like there's a thrill with it too, which is the opposite of peace. In yeah. a sense. And I realized when, when God led me to take my business faith-based, because I could have, you know, been convicted into following Jesus, but not take my business faith-based. I could have just shut it down. There were so many things I could have done. And I prayed to God about it. And he led me in this direction of like, okay, no, you keep it. And you're going to do faith-based coaching and all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't know how, and there was a lot of hesitation with it. There was 
mostly just like those logistic fears, fear of judgment, those sorts of things. But there was this overwhelming peace along with those kind of human fears. And that gave me such strength and such confidence to do it anyway. And even though it was, there were those little bits of inner obstacles, it felt easy because it felt right. Exactly. The circumstances going on around you might not be so peaceful, but like internally you'll have his peace when he's giving you that green light. I love it. Thank you so much, Michaela. Would you be willing to close out in prayer for us? Uh, Yes, of course. Uh, Dear Jesus, thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to just connect with my sister today. God, I pray for everybody listening, God, that you would just, whatever it is that they needed to hear, God, I pray that you would just grow that in their heart, um, that you would reveal yourself to them, Jesus. I pray that anything that, you know, wasn't for them would just be washed away, God. Pray that your Holy Spirit would just bring them peace and comfort and um, continue ministering to them the messages that you need them to hear, Jesus. I thank you for my sister and her ministry, God, and I I pray that you would just bless her and bless this podcast, Jesus. And in your precious name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening, my love. I'm so grateful for you. And I hope you took something powerful away from today's episode. If you haven't already, hit the follow button so you never miss a new episode. And if this episode felt valuable to you, go ahead and leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts so that other children of God like you can find this podcast so we can reach more people. If we haven't met yet, I would love to meet you. Go over to my Instagram at Anna and Powers and say hi, send me a message. I'd love to chat with you. Also head over to my website at AnnaEmpowers.com to dive deeper and explore both free and paid offerings God has been pouring through me to serve you so that you can ditch those shackles of conditioning and your past and step deeper into the stewardship God has called you too. Remember that God holds all the power. He created us to lean on him, not to do it on our own. He created you wonderfully and beautifully as an integral piece of his kingdom here on earth. So steward your gifts with purpose. I love you so much and I'll see you in the next episode.